Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. We're back, and we are loaded on a Monday morning. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley in studio. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Thank you to everybody out there uh, for listening to this edition of the podcast. We've got a really, really, I think, informative. Tons of little tidbits to uh, throw at you here over the next hour or so. Give some thoughts on the NFL schedule. Give some thoughts on kicker news. Chris Ballard did his annual draft film session. About eight or nine of us, I think, were there for it. So I kind of want to empty the notebook a little bit and throw a lot of different tidbits and stories at you. It's always, I think, the most insightful, detailed, candid version of Chris Ballard we get, which is saying something because I think he normally is pretty candid. But uh, if you guys haven't already, there's an article up on the site that will include more of these tidbits, but we'll share some of the highlights as well. And then, as always, Twitter questions. Mr. Presley, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Yourself? Not too bad. Um, yeah, I'm good. Had a fun weekend. Was up at Purdue and Notre Dame playing a little golf. Oh, wow, nice. With my father-in-law and my two brothers-in-law. A little bit of a, uh, I don't even remember if it, we gave him a Christmas present or a birthday present. You know, birthday's in December, so it just all kind of overlaps mm-hmm. at that point. But uh, it was awesome. Some great, great golf courses up in. Which ones did you hit? So we did Notre Dame on Friday morning and then uh, played Purdue twice on Saturday. They got 36 holes at Purdue, really good golf right. courses, camping in Ackerman. So I've got my golf fix, and if I ask Maddie to play golf in the next two or three weeks, I probably will. Um, yeah, I could be single. So uh, <laughs> we're going we're, we're gonna to stay away from, uh, from those uh, conversations, but it was good to get away. The Ballard stuff was on Thursday, and mm-hmm. it was good to kind of decompress a little bit. And beautiful weather, and I'm excited, man. The month of May is always exciting in the state. We'll see what happens with the Pacers this week. We're, we're probably due for a Pacers pod, yep, at some point. But a lot of Colts stuff to hit to. As always, thanks to Prop Swap. Um, I know a few of you have messaged me for uh, the promo code that we've mentioned a few times in the pod, so I want to give that again. It's a uh, promo code guide G U I D E guide. That's 100% match deposit bonus up to $500. So thank you to PropSwap for that promo code. I know a few of you, uh, Zach and I think it was, I don't know, maybe Aaron, somebody else have messaged me. Zach hit on Trey Lance and then Dina Spirit we talked about. And um, Aaron has been big on the golf bet. So PJ Championship this week. Feeling a little good about Justin Thomas. Okay. So we'll see if that's where uh, where I'm going to go. And props to uh, just back to your Purdue and just piggybacking off the uh, golf topic to their women's team. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I did see like some of the cancellations. I know in the, the Baton Rouge Regional, that was a bleeping joke. But they uh, they got invited to Barstool's throwing, putting putting it on, and right. I think four or five of the young ladies are heading out there to compete for national and uh, personal championships. So good yeah, for it was them. funny. Uh, we were playing the Purdue course Ackerman, the other course on Saturday afternoon. I looked over and saw a couple of the Purdue women playing. Thought to myself, oh, wow, they were at that Baton Rouge mm-hmm. Regional and just an absolute horrific display by the NCAA trying to get that NCAA championship, whatever, started or the regional should have played. I, I don't care. They're all playing the same golf course. They're all under the same conditions. Not that big of a deal. But 
I don't need to rant and rave too much about that. But, yeah, there's a regional up at Sagamore this week for the men. So, hopefully the weather awesome. cooperates up there because, obviously, did not there. So, yeah, PJ Championship, NBA playoffs. Everybody had the prop swap. Uh, best odds in the country and great chance to buy and sell with a tremendous odds. So, thank you to them for sponsoring the pod. Yeah, and a great time to do it. We'll see if they have uh, any props on who's going to win the kicker battle here in Indy. Ooh. little kicker signing. Yeah. Over the weekend, I know I texted you about, and some people, you know, it raises, a, a, not necessarily raises eyebrows, but as you told me, you know, the competition's good. Yeah, and, and no, I mean, there are a lot of people that I think have your line of thinking and that, boy, Hot Rod is, is my kicker, and, and I'm and I'm good with that. Um, I guess first let me start here, Chris, and Eddie Pinheiro, they sign officially just before we started mm-hmm. recording this podcast, but Rodrigo Blankenship had a very very solid rookie season. Like, I do not want to lose sight of that. I mean, you're replacing the GOAT. Yeah. That's a big, you know, <laughs> deal. I mean, that's big. I, that's huge. Yeah. You know, it's the Yankees closer after Mariano Rivera. It's whatever you want to say in, in sort of iconic lore of that position, the best closer in, a, in Major League Baseball history, the best kicker in, a, in NFL history. And Hot Rod comes in as an undrafted free agent. I think he was 86% on field goals, like 95 on extra points. I mean, those are really good numbers. Um, we also can sit here and say he missed two chip shots in massive situations. That cost the Colts. Mm-hmm. It cost the Colts a division title, inevitably, with the uh, miss in Jacksonville. And then it cost the Colts in the wild card loss to Buffalo. Um, length for Hot Rod, to me, is not a glaring issue. Is this a dude that's bombing 58 and 60 yarders? No, but he can kick it from north of 50. Unfortunately, it's just kind of an unknown. He kicked four kicks last year from over 45 yards, which is a such a small number. Very small. So many kickers around the league are kicking 10, 15, I don't know, maybe more from you know over 45 yards, but just how the Colts' drives went and Frank Reich's propensity to go for it on fourth down, he just didn't kick a lot of mm-hmm. longer field goals. When he did, one of four. And you just got to acknowledge that of what we saw in the playoffs. It was just kind of a microcosm of, unfortunately, Hot Rod's negatives to the season when he misses the the chip shot in Buffalo. Their rookie kicker goes out there and hits two, whatever, 48, 53 yarders, and that's the difference in the game. Mm -hmm. So I would totally fine with competition. I think this is a very smart move. If you look at Eddie, cousin Eddie here, (laughs) <laughs> groin injury last year, so it doesn't play. Right. 2019, he's the Bears kicker. You talk about the worst stadiums to kick in the NFL. Soldier Field would be maybe atop the list, mm-hmm. if not top two or three. And this dude made 82% of his field goals and 93% of his extra points. So if you just compare strictly percentages, and again, I know you can't really just go off it, but we have these raw numbers. Hot Rod, 80, 86% on field goals. Pinheiro, 82% on field goals. Hot Rod, 95% on extra points. Mr. Eddie, 93% on extra points. One is kicking indoors for half the season. The other is kicking outdoors mm-hmm. on the water for half the season. So you can make the argument you flip them in venues, and you might even flip them in percentages. So I am totally, totally good with creating competition. Let these two battle. 
I get it. Hot Rod story is awesome. You know, he wears cool glasses and he builds Legos. But dude, <laughs> you could weigh 400 pounds. You could have three arms. Just make kicks. I, I don't care what you look at look like. I don't care if you're Sebastian Janikowski or if you're Hot Rod. Just flat out make kicks. And sure, Hot Rod again got a great story. It's awesome. I think he's. Um, I think it's cool just how down to earth he is and, right. and, and all that. You know, the night before roster cuts, he's just building Star Wars Legos with his girlfriend. <laughs> all that, great. But unfortunately, this is a bottom line business, and you know, outside of what ten or twelve kickers in the league, you know, pretty much everybody's kicking for their job to right. some degree. So totally good with it. Yeah, and even when Vinatieri was here, it's a it's a traditional signing that you do preseason. You have multiple kickers in camp. Yeah, I do think this is different in that in that the kickers in camp for Vinny were the days Vinny just wouldn't kick because he's forty something years old and they're resting his leg. I I do think, and this is me just projecting here. I do think it's a competition, and if Pinheiro can get back to being healthy, I mean, a groin injury for a kicker that's a big deal as we know. But sure. Have at it. Create some drama when the special teams come out there for training camp. So if you're up at Grand Park, hopefully we're all there. Yeah. It'll be fun. We'll love to see it. And speaking of the GOAT, um, he did say that he was not retired when the Colts hilariously released their schedule in the way that they did so with him and Mr. Pat McAfee. Uh, let's talk about the schedule a little bit. Well, first, what do you think of the way the Colts released it? And secondly, yeah. Then we'll jump into what your thoughts on the schedule are. Yeah, McAfee and Vinny. Uh, boy, when Vinny said I'm not retired, I'm like, geez, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of like, what is he, 49? It will be 49 this year, something like that. I don't have his age in front of me. But, yeah, McAfee was in his element doing his thing. And, you know, those those have really evolved. Yeah. I remember Andrew Luck reading them off, you know, <laughs> back in the day. And I don't know if you saw Denver's with Peyton as the intern. Mm-hmm. That was that yeah. was that was pretty darn good as well. So, um, yeah, it's weird. I think teams get it usually like late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. So it's hard to kind of uh, produce something, edit it, whatever, and send it out there. But I would say the first thing that jumped out at me, Chris, was obviously the start. And selfishly, I love the opener. I mean, what an awesome game to think about. Like. This time last year, we're like, oh, yeah, at Jacksonville, week one. Woo! Right, you know, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, this is Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, DK Metcalf. I mean, this is a game. Yeah, this we're, is we're a, starting thick. Yeah, this is uh, – you aren't messing around out of the gate. So, again, selfishly, I like it because it's entertainment value. If you're the Colts, you probably don't love it. Uh, home, home-wise, home you're going to sell out your home opener, you would hope, or get close to it anyway. So, it's not like you would necessarily want Seattle in this slot, but – I mean, what a great game if you are welcoming back, hopefully, full capacity to Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, You know, the 10 a.m. kickoff time for not only Seattle, but the Rams also week two. You know, you always kind of hear that. Be interesting to see if that impacts two of those West Coast teams. But, yeah, man, that that jumped out at me big time. Um, Three straight road games then after that. I think the Colts are one of three teams to have three straight road games this year. Now, I think a big reason why the Colts get three straight road games is because they're in the middle of the country and the flights aren't very far. Mm-hmm. You know, t- uh, Baltimore and Tennessee are two of those flights. So, obviously, when you play at Tennessee, you're home and in bed by 8 p.m. if you want if you want to be. So, not that big of a deal there. Um, I don't know how much stock I put into it, Chris, but 
we do have to acknowledge that Carson Wentz has been horrific against the Seahawks. Um, now they've turned over some defensive personnel. Uh, the defensive coordinator situation has kind of evolved with Ken Norton over the years, but I believe it's 0-5 and, and never scored more than 17 points mm-hmm. against Seattle. So, you know, if you're trying to build Carson's confidence, maybe some other opponents would have been better to see on the schedule, but I, I do think it's something you have to note. First two at home, that's not been something we've seen typically. I think it's the first time since 2013 there, but, man, I mean, Seattle Rams at uh, – is it at Tennessee? Yep. At Miami, at Baltimore? Correct. Is that how it goes? All of them won 10 games. Um, my big thing, and we talked about this, I think, on Wednesday's pod. I don't know if we did. Maybe it was last Tuesday's pod. The whole Eric Fisher, the injury situation, what does September look like mm-hmm. with that schedule? Now, a little bit of a tidbit from – um, the Chris Ballard film session sounds like Eric, Eric Fisher slightly ahead of Dio Adengbo and right. their Achilles rehabs. Uh, now we'll see how that plays out as they get into the meat of their rehab now. But um, the edge rush group in that early stretch, it's not like super menacing. Like if Arizona would have been up there, that would have been a lot worse than Arizona on Christmas Day. Now, I mean, you've still got, we'll see where Bud Dupree is at health-wise. But him over in Tennessee, you know. Mm-hmm. That Miami duo, it's not heralded, but I think it's a duo come late in the season we could look at. It's Emmanuel Agba and then potentially Jalen Phillips. And if Jay, you know, I think we're more worried about Jalen Phillips long term, not necessarily worried about Jalen Phillips short term. Yeah. I think you got more of the interior rushers, though, in general. Donald, uh, Clayus Campbell, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, you know, those guys as well. But still, I mean, it's. Boy, that's a <laughs> it's a brutal stretch, uh, flat out. Uh, both the Tennessee games before November, right? That stood out to me as well. Um, I I do think it's interesting of the prime time, and I guess I'll get in my prime time rant here. <laughs> uh, the couple prime timers you have early in the year, uh, Baltimore and San Francisco, they both lead to divisional games next. So Baltimore will be a short week coming off the Monday nighter. That's into do you have a schedule in front of you? I do. That's that... going into the Texans. Okay. And then San Francisco's the Sunday nighter traveling, you know, multiple time zones back home into Tennessee, right? Correct. So that is what stands out to me is we're so used to in the AFC South, and really I think across the NFL, these juicy divisional matchups in December. The Colts have had it. You know, last year it was, the, I guess, the final week of November. They had Tennessee over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Mm-hmm. That was a big kind of COVID game. Colts didn't play well, obviously. And you know, kind of lost their grip on the division. Those Texans Colts matchups so often in December and years prior. This year, you get the two Tennessee games before Halloween. Right. So you're going to get to November, and you're going to know who's kind of in the driver's seat from that tiebreaker. Now, I don't know Tennessee's schedule, so I don't know if they're as front loaded as the Colts are. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think they are. But that stood out to me. The no Sunday Monday uh, home primetime games. It is just an utter effing joke that the NFL continues to treat the Colts like they have with these games. I've joked about it. I don't know if I should joke about it anymore because it might be serious. This might be a six-year punishment from attempting the fake punt against the Patriots. <laughs> Seriously, like, I mean, I, I have no good answer. So this is my answer, and I think I'm going with it. That is the last time. The Colts had a home 
Sunday or Monday night game when Colt Anderson and Griff Whalen did what Chuck Pagano told them to do and tried to attempt the dumbest fake punt in the history mm-hmm. of the NFL and really cost the Colts a game. They, they could have beat the Patriots on that Sunday night football game. So, Chris, as of, and this is a bigger number, 2,033 days. It has been since the last time the Colts had a Sunday or Monday night um, game on, on inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, obviously. That is like over 200 games have been played in the NFL on Sunday or Monday night since then. And the Colts and the Jags. When you're in the same sentence with the Jags, yeah, that's not good. Every team in the NFL has had at least two Sunday or Monday night home games in that span besides the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's it's baffling. I don't I don't no get it whatsoever. It. I don't I think Jim Mercer has a fine relationship with the NFL. Clearly the NFL brought the Super Bowl here. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't you know, some people have brought up, oh, you know, it's Ursa's arrest has led to this, you know, going way back. I'm like and, and like prime time, it's it's T V numbers. Like they don't care where the game's played. If you yeah. put the Colts against the Bucks this year, that's a home game. Colts Seahawks, Colts Rams, like that to me would draw. So I don't get it. It's uh, I don't really count the Thursday night home game because every team plays on Thursday night, so it's a fifty percent chance right. if you're going to be at home or not for that game. So I know some people might not care about that. Some people really do care. Uh, it's pissed off the owner. He's been very public with those statements, and he rightfully so. He should be pretty pissed off about that. So, um, what else? Uh, a good amount of rookie QBs we're going to face this season. Especially late. Yeah. Especially late in the year as well. I I, I noticed that. that. That stretch, December into January, man, that's manageable. Super manageable. I, I love the Christmas game. Uh, I think that's going to be awesome. I think Arizona is a fun team. And, you know, to see Kyler Murray and open the gifts early. 8-15 kickoff that night. So, um, you know, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. That's the only game I worry about weather-wise, Buffalo. I don't worry about any other game weather-wise. Uh, that's November 21st. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be fine, but that can get a little dicey in western New York. The late bye also jumped out to me. Peter King pointed this out this morning as Monday morning quarterback. That will impact, and a lot of you out there will care about this, that's going to impact fantasy playoffs. Very true. Week 14. Yeah. So, and for the conspiracy theorists out there that are like, the NFL loves the Patriots, hates the Colts, the Patriots also have a week 14 bye, so I just want to get that out there. You saw the trend of the bye week 10, 11, 12, 13, this year's 14, in terms yeah. of Super Bowl champions. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, I haven't noticed if that. If you looked back wow. four years ago, five years ago, whoever uh, the championship, who the, the champions had week 10 yeah. bye, the next next year, week uh-huh. 11 bye, 12, 13, Oh, boy. Okay. Well, Colts, Patriots, Dolphins. Eagles. Prop swap. Bet it, baby. The house on it right there. You can get four <laughs> pretty good tickets, I, I would think, for some odds. Oh, the yeah. Dolphins, I think, have decent Super Bowl odds. But, yeah, the late buy, I mean, that's super late, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even your mini buy is pretty late. You know, that's November 4th, I want to say, 8th, something like that. You play the Jets. Yeah, 4th to the 14th. So, yeah. you're going to play eight straight games without some sort of 
over a week break, then you'll play 13 straight games without a you know true true bye week in there. Now you you can look at that one of two ways. You know, some would say, well, if I'm going on a playoff stretch run, I love the late bye. Others would say, no, I'm going to want it earlier in the season because you got to get to that point, obviously, to get in the dance there. You know, I, I think you'd love to flip December and September. I, I I would much rather, given Carson Wentz's acclamation and Eric Fisher's injury, I think you'd love to flip that. But I would say the other reminder, Chris, is man, it's just a it's just a hard schedule. It you is. know, I mean, it, it, I don't know if I said this last week, but like if you put the division games to the side, the easiest games on the schedule, probably the Jets. But again, funky things happen on Thursday nights, and then after that, it's like. Okay, is New England your easiest game? Is 49ers? Like, I I don't know who jumps off that page, non-division, as super, super easy. So, I think it's just another reminder of last year, you benefited from playing the easiest schedule in the NFL. I do not expect that to be the same this year. So, yeah, I got an article up on 107.5, the fan that looks at some more takeaways from the schedule. So, check that out. But, um... Yeah, that's schedule. Yeah, Chatta. definitely going to be back and forth week to week, and can't wait to bring you guys the information from. You know, the last time you know those two home games right out of the gate, Chris. Last time the Colts have started off two and zero is two thousand nine. Really, it's crazy. You know, over a decade. Yeah. Now, obviously, when you haven't won an opener since twenty thirteen, that that stat is probably going to be there. But as Colts fans, you aren't used to very like. Oh, September, we're going to win the Super Bowl. We're going to make the Super Bowl. That hasn't been the case. So if, and it's a big if, but if you can take care of business early on, now for a change, you're in the driver's seat Mm -hmm. and you're not having to play a little catch-up here. But that's a tall task this year. Yeah, and uh, really want to hear your thoughts. I know you said you have an article up on 1075thefan.com where people can get more in-depth but want to hear your thoughts on what you found out from Chris Ballard. And it's really cool that you guys get that experience. It's awesome. When I told my friends, like, hey, Kev's going to do this, they're like, how many teams do that? Yeah, I, not many, if any, to be honest with you. I, I don't know many. I know it's something Chris didn't do his first year, but I think 2018, 2019, last year we didn't do it because of COVID mm-hmm. this year. You know, we were, we were spaced out, but we're in their kind of big pavilion area. The previous years we've been actually in their kind of draft film war, right. war room-ish. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's unbelievable what Chris Ballard does from a candid sense, and I'm so grateful for that. Basically, how it unfolds is this: we had about two hours with him. Mm-hmm. We watched film on. We didn't have enough time to get to uh, Mike Strawn and Will Fries because just you know Chris can get can get talking a whole lot, but we pretty much watched film on you know the, the what five ish draft picks before those guys, and then a lot of it is just. Someone will ask him about a player on the roster, and now you're 20 minutes down yeah. a different path. So it's not just like consistent film. You do talk a lot about the roster. We'll get into a few of those roster notes here. Um, a lot of it, unfortunately, is off the record. So um, there is some some items that I wish I could share, but but unfortunately we we can't go full there. But I'll give you as much as I've got. And like I said, that article uh, really details things a little bit more, but. Let's go prospect by prospect, Chris, Mm -hmm. draft-wise, and then we'll get into those roster notes to round it out. Okay. And real quick before we get into that, how how are you guys made known what is on and off the record? They tell you and then 
Yeah, so basically Chris is like, off the record, and then he okay. says something. And then he's like, off the record, off the record, off the record, off the record, off, like if it's super off the record. Yeah. He says it about okay. 25 times, raises his voice, and <laughs> looks over at Matt Conti, the head of PR, and Matt Conti's like, off the record. And uh, I think when you're in this profession, you get it. Like, you're getting great access. We don't want to jeopardize right. that access as well. Um, and also, you know, part of it is Chris is – he knows how his predecessor mishandled some things publicly, mm-hmm. and I think he has done above and beyond in trying not to, which, you know, that is you know, part of the business. I try to be very, very neutral in the sense of, like, the question we had on last week's podcast. We, we do try and stress accountability because I think it's journalistic integrity 101, but at the same time, I can be very grateful for Chris Bauer right. for uh, giving us this, this sort of access and, and for the Colts as well. Because we were able to talk to Mike Bloom, their cap guy as well. Again, not something a lot of NFL teams do. So, um, yeah, it's just awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, that's great. I know a lot of people would love to be a fly on the wall in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't believe there's – we aren't allowed to do any video photos from it. Um, so, I don't – for those of you looking for what the next pick stuff, I, I didn't see any cameras in there. Okay. So, just FYI. Well, let's jump into first-round pick Quiddy Pay, who last week, if you listen to the podcast, you grade as a guy who – will likely start from day one. What did you see on film? Yeah, so basically the big thing Chris was, you know, Chris started watching him in um, the fall and was like, wow, this is a really talented player. And then when he talked to the staff, the Michigan staff, it was like, oh, wow, this is the perfect Colt. And this pick is very easy. And I think Chris really, and we, we hinted at this on last week's podcast, the uncertainty with the lack of information surrounding draft picks, I think that led the Colts to playing a little bit safe in the draft. And by safe, I mean high character, big-time work ethic, mm-hmm. meeting the measurables and the testing traits that they love, you know, the, the, the core draft beliefs. Right. The Colts are going to stick to that, and that's why they didn't love trading back. If the prospect was there and they liked that guy, they were going to take that guy. Whereas I think in years past, if you felt better about a bigger group of prospects, you might be more willing to trade back. So I think that's something to note there with pay. Um, 268, super quick feet, uh, the relentless nature they love. Combine that with his power as well. Basically, they think tough, great effort, and he's got more speed than a guy like Danico Autry. And, and that's what they really, really love. Of you know, They feel like he can play the run, hold up on first and second down, and then they'll develop him into being a good pass rusher. Uh, they thought Pay could go really as high as you know, 10, 11, 12. And there's a team in that mix that they really thought was going to take them, but an offensive player kind of fell a little bit, and they are like, all right, you know, pay could fall. And then when Jalen Phillips was to Miami, which I think a lot of people thought that was going to happen, given that's where you know right. he, he went to college and whatnot, that's when they felt um, a lot better about pay getting there to, to 21. You know, Ballard did mention that, the Dwight Freeney stuff that I think some people have thrown out there, like they both had the compact lower bodies. Obviously Dwight had tremendous sack production, which we talked about on last week's pod. Quiddy pay is a little bit taller than Dwight there. Um, they got cleared medically. You know, remember Quiddy had that heart thing. Mm-hmm. They got the clearance on him medically about 10 PM on Wednesday night. So, I mean, this was you know, pretty close to right up to Thursday yep. about where they felt, um, good with him medically. Brandon Graham was a comp that he threw out there NFL-wise. I do think Quiddy, and, and Chris acknowledges, a little bit better athlete 
than Graham, but like that kind of ability of a compact body can play the run. You know, he might not be 14, 15 sack guy, but you know, can he be eight to 10 and can he do that annually? I think that's kind of where you look at things with, um, with Quiddy pay. You know, I feel like Michigan and using him poorly might be unfair. They definitely didn't use him as that pure edge guy mm-hmm. that I think the Colts will, but Chris would, he kind of pushed back on the Michigan used him poorly angle he just feels like sack numbers are down for college players now you can counter with you know guys like Jalen Phillips or you know Carlos Basham I think have pretty good sack numbers I think sack numbers in general are down but there are definitely some rushers that have some great sack numbers but he feels like you know the ball just gets out quicker Mm -hmm. quicker tempo things like that basically he says Quiddy Pay's got to finish better to get those sack numbers higher and then he's got to develop a second move He's got the power to speed move, but like a lot of rushers coming from college, you've got to develop that second move. Right. So I think those are the big things with um, with pay. But, yeah, they are, um, I mean, definitely big fan of him. I, I, I do think that um, it really wasn't that much of a debate there at 21. I mean, Darisau, I think, sure was in the mix, but I think as we talked about, there is a little bit of that, just that lazy mm-hmm. word that you heard with them. And, you know, when you pick a guy at 21, you know, and Chris Bowers, like, you know, you're sending a message to the locker room and feels like from a working standpoint, Quiddy Pay sends more of that message. Yeah, and it's safe to say, obviously, he's going to have some great practices. The guys that he's going to be going up against on the other side of the ball, you want to learn as a rookie. Yeah. Oh, definitely. What a great line to go definitely. against. And, and I should note, you know, I mentioned like there is at 268, you know, hovering 270, he can give you the inside stuff as well, which that is something that when Matty Eberflus is stunting and things like that, it is beneficial to have some versatile defensive linemen as well. You talked earlier in the podcast about Eric Fisher's Achilles and related it to Deo Odangbo. What did you guys see from him, and what did, how, how what was Chris Ballard's thoughts on Dale? Yeah, I mean he he um, he's obsessed, yeah. beyond obsessed. I I don't even I, I can't stress that enough. He absolutely loves Dio Dangbo. Thinks special is honestly putting it lightly. Um, Chris said like every time you talk to people in the SEC, this is the guy that'll keep on coming up. Mm-hmm. You know when you talk to other coaches, it's kind of like how the hell does that dude play at Vanderbilt? Like that, you should go. You should be playing at Auburn. You should be playing at Alabama. You should be playing at LSU, something like that. So, um, special length, special body control. Feels like with that length, he kept on saying, you know, his body is very DeForest Buckner like. Right. Um, I think they view kind of an archery role for him. You know, the left end can move inside. In the film that we watched, you know, Vanderbilt was really moving him all over, and he did show a decent amount of moves. Now, he's just got a wingspan and a length move, which, you know, it's almost like he's stiff-arming some of these offensive linemen Mm -hmm. with his wingspan there. I think Chris is, um, he said kind of leading into the draft, he kept on coming back to the question of how can you disrupt the line of scrimmage? And I think a lot of that comes back to where we've been at on this podcast of I'm such a big believer in disrupting timing. When you play primarily zone, it's difficult for your back end, unless you're just going to press and fall into zone, mm-hmm. to play and disrupt a lot of that timing. 
But if your front can change the line of scrimmage, muddy a pocket, the three-step drop is now a three-and-a-half, and it's got a little hitch in there, and the five-step drop now is moved over to, you know, the C gap because you've been able to kind of adjust or, you know, certainly muddy up what that pocket looks like. That's how you have to disrupt timing in this defense. So I think Chris was super content of we know that we're probably not going to see the real guy this year in Dio Dangbo, but willing to wait. And he does think he'll play this year, but they know full well that probably not going to be, you know, at that full hundred mm-hmm. percent. But man, I mean, it's. I think if you if you take out the Achilles, Chris Boward would have been standing on a table for that guy a lot earlier in the draft. I know even some people thought fifty four was a reach. Uh, no, Chris Bauer did not think that at all. So I think it's his favorite pick. You know, you always you always can kind of feel that. I felt like it, felt that a little bit with Kari Willis a few years ago. He traded up twenty right. spots, obviously, to take Kari, so that stands out. But Dio Dangbo. The Colts absolutely, and Chris Ballard, I should say, absolutely loves him. Very interested to hear your thoughts on Kylan Granson, considering looking at his film based off YouTube and what we can see, just a different kind of player. And so I, I what did you guys see in the film room based off of him? Yeah, a lot of split out stuff. You know, Chris has a prior relationship with Sonny Dykes, the SMU mm-hmm. head coach, and basically the same. You know, as a kid that could have got into Harvard, got into Rice, started there. So mentally moving him around is not going to be an issue. He can handle that. And in today's NFL, you know, you can you throw out two tight end sets? Can you force an opposing defense to stay in base? And now you split out Kylan Granson. Jack Doyle's still in line. And now Kylan Granson's against a linebacker mm-hmm. or against a slower safety. I think that is the goal is to get that matchup guy in the slot to where you've got an advantage one-on-one, and the QB knows that's where I'm going with the football there. So they were really pleased with his route running at um, rookie minicamp last weekend, or two weekends ago, I guess, now. Um, Basically, they see better, younger Trey Burton and more advanced than Trey because Trey played some quarterback in college. They feel like he does. They think he can get to be a decent blocker. They're not too worried about the blocking. He can gain some weight, get up to 245, 250. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's not tall, 6'1", but they feel like he could be an adequate blocker at some point. Jordan Reed was the NFL comp okay. that Ballard came back to. Obviously, when healthy, Jordan right. Reed's been a really good kind of hybrid and move him around in that. And It sounds like, you know, again, very much in line with our thinking lead in the draft, they wanted a different skill set to complement what they have in Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox. So I think that's where you're getting Kylan Granson. They, they see no issue w- w- with the hands. I know that was kind of a popular thing, especially right after he got drafted. Um, but, yeah, they see no issue there. So high on him. I think, Frank, we saw that a little bit with the next pick. Super, super high on him. Right. But um, they really like the athleticism, the speed, the after-catch ability at tight end from Kylan Granson. I don't know if the on-the-record and off-the-record stuff that you guys talk about, um, if they give you any indication on where guys are going to probably start off playing. But as we look at Sean Davis, I know you and I have talked about probably special teams. What did you see on his film? Yeah, you know, Chris did mention they've talked a little bit more about using a third safety this year. Okay. So that's something where we come back and we do that rookie playing time after training camp. 
I might bump Sean Davis up a little bit. Because if you do play some dime with that sixth defensive back and that mm-hmm. third safety, they feel like Sean Davis, you know, could, should factor into those reps. Basically, they see a floor of he's a third safety. But he's got a ceiling to be a starter. Now, you know, Kari Willis and Julian Blackman are obviously here. I think you know when you watch Davis, you certainly watch a guy that just gives up his body. And what is impressive to me, Chris, not so much what I learned from Ballard, but the more I've looked into it, he's a two-year starter in the SEC that had, whatever, five picks, 17-some pass defense, but also had some tackles for loss. I mean, you don't see that type of production at both levels yeah. just from a two-year starter in the best conference of college football. So, I think that's attractive to them. He's probably more of a strong safety. They think more Kari Willis and Julian Blackman. Now, Alan Williams, the safety coach, only in a virtual setting so far, they liked that Sean Davis intellectually, they feel like he can handle it. And similar to where Kari was at as a rookie for rookie mm-hmm. minicamp, which is, that's very high praise. Very, very high praise for him, but... I think Sean Davis just got a little bit of a swagger, kind of an edginess to him yep. that they like as well, and that'll help him out on special teams. So, again, at worst, third safety, but could uh, could climb a little bit. And lastly, um, Sam Ellinger, who it's funny because there's certain quotes when you read, you can hear someone's voice. <laughs> and the quote in the article that you have up on the website when Ballard says he's got real freaking rare character, rare. Like, I, when you throw the freaking in, it's like, yeah, Chris Ballard said that. That was yeah. Chris Ballard. 1,000%. And just the, he loves to stress the, you know, when he uses rare once, he loves to come back and, and, and kind of mm-hmm. stress that again. So, um, you know, similar to I can't stress enough, Dayo Adangbo is special in Chris Ballard's eyes. I cannot stress enough how much the Colts are in awe of the character of Sam Ellinger. I don't know what that means for his NFL future in terms of really getting a shot to whatever, be a backup and things like that. But obviously, and sadly, and tragically, he's had to deal with a whole lot. And he had to deal with a whole lot when he got to Indianapolis last week with a rookie minicamp and obviously didn't end up participating on the field because of the death of his brother. But they um, they are in awe of that and just the maturity and the leadership that comes with that position, you know, we've we've talked about it before, Chris. You know, the guy like Jacob Eason, it's not like Jacob Eason is a bad kid or anything like that. But when you play quarterback, your character takes on even more. Yeah. I mean, it's it's double that of any other position on the football field. And they think Ellinger is blue trait as blue trait can come with that. He did mention Frank will be creative with him. So I now, I don't know if that screams Taysom Hill stuff, you know, year one. Again, as we talked about, it's not that Ellinger is this unbelievable athlete, per se. He's a guy that just, I think, has a knack for knowing where the rush is coming from. He's tough. I mean, he's 220-some pounds, maybe more than that. So he can handle, I think, some short yardage stuff if you want that. But I think I do think that'll be interesting mm-hmm. to note. Um, you know, you guys have heard me say this before, and Chris Ballard, said this himself when you don't have I should say when you're unsure if you have the guy at the position you throw darts and this is a dart 
it's a six-round dart, and we know the six-round dart, you know, is very difficult to hit the bullseye. But that position means so much. Yep. And with your coaching staff, you haven't identified a lot of draftable quarterbacks. Easton was the first. Now Ellinger is the second. But sure, why not? I got no issue with this draft pick whatsoever. Um, he doesn't maybe have as moldable of traits, if that makes sense. That's kind of Easton does. As a thrower, like, Easton's got that stuff. Mm. Now it's can you mold him as intellectually. You know, Ellinger, I think he is who he is as a QB physically. Uh, but, you know, does the team gravitate towards a winner like that? And, you know, he showed us some clips from the Red River shootout, big comeback. Obviously that rivalry speaks for itself and everything mm-hmm. there. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think Ellinger was due back, I believe, today or yesterday, so he should be back with his team. And then uh, we actually get to go out to practice on Thursday. That's the first time we'll see anything awesome. this year. So I believe it's still phase two. Next week, I think, starts OTAs. Um, and so far, the Colts have, I think, said yes to two weeks of OTAs. So, I, you know, I assume if nothing goes wrong, they'll extend mm-hmm. that. But I know there's a lot of debate between teams and whatnot. So um, I'll recap some of that on uh, next week's podcast. And Ballard also, apart from the rookies, he touched on other diff- other topics. Again, you can go find this at 1075thefan.com, so we're not going to go through all of them. But a couple that stand out, potentially the three-headed monster in the backfield, Marlon Mack, where his injury and the timetable is and how he's looking. Yeah, he was blown away that no one went after Marlon Mack in free agency. Basically, Chris, he said that you, know, you get to about seven months in with Achilles stuff, and you can be clear. You can be full go. That was the case for Mac. So I think that's interesting. Obviously, each player mm-hmm. is different. Marlon Mack at you know two hundred pounds is different than Eric Fisher at three, whatever. But you know Marlon has been you know seven months removed from it. He's over seven months removed from it, and they feel like he's good. So um, that is something to note there. Um, anything else stand out to you about some of those roster notes? He did say that Mike Strawn. One last thing on the draft pick. They notice his talent level pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and maybe not as raw as they thought. So, um, I still think it's difficult to make the fifty-three, but that is something. No, and he's a little bit older, if I'm not mistaken, strong than yeah. some of the other rookies, and so that is something that um, you know you do hope it's not a huge developmental period considering his age. Yeah, that's great to hear because he also talked about T.Y. Hilton, Desmond Patman, Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, they know they have weapons and. They're ready to see how they work with Carson Wentz. Yeah, T.Y., you know, he said very 50-50 on if he thought T.Y. would come back. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty real. Uh, Obviously circled that Baltimore game a little bit on the schedule because that was the other team there. Um, Something I thought was interesting about Eric Fisher, basically the debate, and I think this falls in the Charles Leno thing, is Chris kind of asking himself internally, could we win big with the other tackles? Mm Mm-hmm. And we talked about that in last week's podcast. The higher ceiling. Is this a super bold decision? Yes. But Leno is a little bit more of a level ceiling there. So we can debate that. But I think that played into why Fisher made sense for the Colts. It sounds like if it works out health-wise, this could be a multiple-year thing. And obviously he's 30. We've seen Costanzo play into his early 30s. So that shouldn't be too much of an issue there I guess a little bit back to the Achilles like six and a half months seven months they should be good the eighth and ninth that's when they really kind of have their 
their juice back. Their boy, he loves Kari Willis, most underrated guy in this <laughs> defense. Um, Julian Blackman as well. I mean, he thinks he's got all pro talent, so high, high praise. And I think we all saw this, but Julian kind of faded a little bit late, late last season. Understandable coming off the ACL, mm-hmm. but we just didn't see the same playmaking. So, again, we got a lot of notes up on the site, so please check that out. Uh, much more on that, and as we get through the rest of the off season, I'll throw a few more into that stuff on various pods. Lastly, before we get to tw- Twitter questions, Chris, uh, money wise, like thirteen and a half right now, million for the Colts and cap. I don't expect a whole lot of that to be, you know, allocated to one player. Of course, you got draft picks, you got injuries that happen in camp, mm-hmm. Eason bombs. You probably go out, have to go sign a veteran QB, you know, things like that. I do think something that it sounds obvious, but it's just a reminder of now the extensions coming for Braden Smith and Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson. You have to draft well. Yeah. Like you and every franchise says that when they get to this point of their cap, and that's right there for the Colts. Like you have got to start draft continuing, I think, to draft well, because it does shrink a bit of kind of what the middle class I think looks like for your roster a little bit there. So um but yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the article. I know a lot of you have reached out and really, really appreciate some of the tidbits. And basically what I try to do with that is empty the notebook real quick of like, these are what I thought the main takeaways are. And then there's some other stuff that I didn't put in there that I'll save for some other stories and other podcasts uh, throughout the rest of the offseason. Quickly piggybacking off what you just said there in terms of, you know, how Leno would probably be a linear shift, even though Eric Fisher's on a one-year deal, and you just talked about how many people are going to need to get paid on this team. Are you worried that if Fisher plays well enough that he's going to have unmanageable money potential that we can't sign him? Yeah, I think it's a very fair question. Really, really good question, to be honest with you. I'm not, but, man, it makes it even tighter. Even tighter. You know, I, I what do you got, 80-something million now? A lot will depend on, obviously, where the cap is moving mm-hmm. forward, but... The Colts are going to have to get creative. You know, they're a big uh, roster bonus team right now, not necessarily signing bonus team, and not to get, you know, thick in the weeds of it. Signing bonus, you can kind of prorate out a little bit more, kind of get that cap to look a little bit not as the cap hit isn't as immense in that year one. That's what they've done with the roster bonuses. Um, they can take on a lot of cap because they're in such a good situation. That might have to be, you know, played with a little bit and tweaked a little bit. You have to get more into the signing bonus game and less in the roster bonus game. Um, it, it, it's going to complicate things. But, again, that's the price of doing business. Yeah. That's why, you know, it was a reason why I thought the drafting of a left tackle, if you could, would would help you out there. Obviously, a very proven guy in Eric Fisher, and if healthy, you would probably rather have him. But financially... It is a bridge you're going to have to cross, mm-hmm. but I think the Colts have to cross it because they are that obsessed with those lines. And I don't think it's going to get to the point now where it's like you're going to have to start cutting guys. Like I don't think you're there, but very, very tight. And it's the benefit as well of you know, you're going to be paying a quarterback for quite some time. Yeah, Like Carson, if he works out, you're not going to be paying him for quite some time because he's under contract for three more seasons after this year. And then obviously a drafted QB, you wouldn't be paying for quite some time either. So. Just some things to note, cap-wise. Well, let's continue on with more questions from the Twitter. Let's do it. 
This one's from Travis. He saw a report that the Colts and the players had agreed uh, had an agreement on the upcoming offseason. Do you know any of those details? And did the players get any guarantees for injuries suffered away from the team? Obviously, the hot topic this last week, you look at the two injuries that the Broncos had. Yeah, like I said earlier, Travis, I think right now, definitely two weeks of OTAs. So how OTAs work, get 10 of them, spaced out over three weeks. Um, so I think it goes 3-3-4. Three, three, I think it's how the Colts yeah. handle those OTAs around Memorial Day. I've got the first one starting May 25th, so that's a week from tomorrow as we record this. Uh, OTAs, just a reminder again, voluntary, 11 on 11, no full pads. Mini camp, which is the week after the OTAs end, so basically you have 13 practices, three of the 13 mandatory. That's the mini camp. It's the same exact thing as OTAs. It's just mandatory and yeah. not the voluntary. Um, so I think, you know, my gut says that they'll do it all, but, I mean, one freak injury and who knows. I, I'm not sure on the guarantees, though, Travis, to be honest with you. I don't. I don't know that. I'm trying to remember which uh, rookie defensive back. It might have been Sertan. Uh, I don't know if you saw or not. They asked him about voluntary, and he's like, look, I'm a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no voluntary about it. I have to get in there and study and get, you know, get the pads on. I think on. that's the popular thought from rookies. And right. then you've got some veterans that, you know, Edger and James's famous quote of whatever. I didn't go to the, you know, I didn't, I forget. I didn't go to Miami for four years, but I went long enough to know what the word voluntary means. Right. You know, something <laughs> like that. So you definitely have some vets that uh, fall in line with that thinking. This one comes from Colin. Does the NFL plan to use a three-week IR plan like they utilized last year? I thought it was great to keep players safe from coming back too soon from an injury. Plus, it opens a roster spot for someone else to compete for a few weeks. Yeah, Colin, good question. Right now, there's no final answer on that, so it's fluid. But it sounds like, I think I have this right, could be wrong. It sounds like that will be six weeks and three players are allowed to come off the IR throughout the course of the year. So a little bit le- a little bit of a buffer, but not as big mm-hmm. as a cushion as you had last year. But again, that is not finalized at all and we'll have to I think a lot of it will just depend on you know, they get to July 1 and now they have a great understanding of all right, where are we where are we at from COVID? You know, where are we have vaccination wise, mm-hmm. what are stadiums going to look like? What are training camps going to look like? I still think we're a few uh, weeks away from that being finalized. From Mike, now that now that we have these tough games in the first five weeks, do you believe this is a test you've been alluding to for years regarding competition? Do you believe we can compete with these tough teams? You know, Mike, it's certainly part of it. Um, now, I, I, I will say this, and I say this every season, what your team looks like in September is a whole lot different than what your team looks like in November and right. December. I love that in November you kind of get that Buffalo-Tampa back-to-back. I think that's a good measuring stick. And, I, again, I think at Arizona week uh, 16, that'll be fun. I think that's a good um, test. Now, you don't have the Tennessee test, um, but you know how many times do you see teams get off to great starts, Chris, and then you don't even hear from them, or vice versa, horrible starts, and they backdoor their way into the playoffs. Now they're hot, and they right. get on a run. So I think, unfortunately, because I know so many of you are like, what do you think, over-under on wins and all that, this year more than ever, with the Fisher injury slash Carson Wentz in the preseason – this is going to be a long time. That I, I usually wait pretty long because I am a big believer in watching camp in the preseason. This year I'm going to wait pretty late because I need to see what Carson Wentz looks like, man. I yeah. mean, 
That dude threw, threw the most picks in the NFL last year and didn't even play the final four games. Like, is that is that gone? Is that there? You know, what what exactly does that look like? And then, obviously, the Fisher injury plays into it as well. Country Boy Eddie says he would not be... Uh, Country Boy Eddie. Country Boy Eddie would not be surprised if the Colts started 1-4 and four due to the brutal schedule. Would be happy with 3-2, and two, ecstatic with 4-1. and one. What do you have them going through the first five? You know, you go three and two, and I think you got to be close to ecstatic, especially if that one of those three is Tennessee. That's that's True. the big one. Um, yeah, I mean, if you go three and two, you're on the right side of that eight ball. You just, I hate again, just putting so much pressure. Now the Colts have really handled it a lot of years pretty well, getting off the poor starts, but resurrecting things. But you know, we we talked about it a little bit earlier, Chris. I mean, a couple of those primetime games, you got short weeks in coming off it. You know, you should beat the Texans, but still, it's just something you got to acknowledge. So, I don't know. What do you got? Seattle, Rams, at Tennessee, at Miami, at Baltimore. I don't know. Country boy, Eddie, I, I, I'm two and three, three and two. I'm hovering right there. I don't know. Two and three. Yeah, and Eddie, hopefully you can join us with the live beers with Bowen right before we get to the season because then you can break down these oh, games just we'll a little cert- bit more. Hey, we'll, we'll be going game by game. Certainly, that, that, that'll be our next beers with Bowen, for those of you, and hopefully should be, will be, in public. Well, just like everyone else, someone has one opinion, someone else has a different one. Jake, he's a little bit more flipped. He doesn't calling the first five games easy by any measure, okay. but he doesn't feel like, other than Aaron Donald, we're really going to face a lot of pass or edge rush. For him, it's more on the offensive side of the ball and facing quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, and Lamar Jackson. That's a good point. Obviously, some pretty good runners in that group as well. Wilson, Tannehill, and Lamar Jackson there. You know, I, I kind of laid out the edge rushers earlier. I, I do think the Rams front is pretty good in general. And then you got to see where you are at health-wise. Um, you know, Bud Dupree, um, Yannick Ngakwe, obviously not with the Ravens anymore, things like that. Mm-hmm. Colts just announced that uh, – who do the Colts play on November 28th? The Colts on November 20th. Do you have the schedule up? Yeah. Who they they play the Buccaneers. Bucks. That will be uh, Mathis going into the Ring of Honor. Love it. So, yeah, very fitting. Mathis with uh, not only Tom Brady, obviously, in the building, but mm-hmm. I think Bruce Arians would appreciate being yeah. there to watch number 98 go in there. So That's great. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Love to see that. Yeah. This one comes from Dad Talks. He's got a couple hypotheticals for you. What is more likely to happen in week one? We win our season opener. Our defensive line gets five sacks on Russell Wilson. Carson Wentz throws three touchdowns, or Jonathan Taylor rushes for over 100 yards. Oh, wow. Okay. And hopefully a couple of these happen. One more time. Go ahead. We win the season opener. Okay. The D-line gets five sacks on Russell. Carson Wentz throws three touchdowns, or Jonathan Taylor rushes for over 100 yards. What is most likely? Let's go with um, Taylor over 100. Mm-hmm. Most likely, that dude had seven straight games of at least seventy-five yards done last season. That is so Stud. good and rare, mm-hmm. rare to steal word from Chris Ballard <laughs> for an NFL running back in today's NFL. I'll go with win the opener is second most likely. Let's go five sacks as the next. Wilson gets sacked a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, he runs. He runs around a lot. Yeah. And then Wentz. Three TDs, that's that's a good amount. You know? 
He could have a very good day and just throw for one or two. Yeah. Taylor, Hines, get in the end zone. All right, this one comes from Drew. Who do you project our starters at linebacker? Says Jordan Hicks is looking for a new home. And drawing lines between the dots, he played at Philly with Reich. Do you think he could be our new Mike or Sam? Yeah, shout out to Scott Hicks, father of Jordan Hicks, legend. Um, No, I don't, Drew. I think Darius Leonard and Bobby Okariki are clearly those two, and I just think they're okay with their depth. You know, I asked Chris Ballard last week about what's the one spot you're kind of worried about depth-wise, if any. I thought he might say just that third linebacker, and he went to corner first, which I think is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they like Zaire Franklin. I think they feel like from a rundown standpoint, he can fit some things that Anthony Walker did, and um, so I'd put him in there. Um, obviously, EJ Speed's got all the gifts, and really right. of that third linebacker, you're kind of looking for a thumper. Mm-hmm. Um, now it is interesting, Drew. I think it's a fair question to ask of like if Leonard or Okariki were to go down. Then all of a sudden these names are like, whoa, you really could use somebody like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, teams just go nickel for so much, man. Like, I think we're very close to, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we're already here, like teams going nickel for 95% of a game for 12 games a year. Mm-hmm. So that's two linebackers, and I think the Colts could be one of them. One of those teams. I just don't think they play a whole lot of base. Um, let's go to Rodney now. Okay. Do you feel better with the D-line depth after Antoine Wood signing? He sure does. And right now, there's a lot of competition on that line. Yeah, I do like Woods. I was talking to um, somebody with uh, you know, close to that Dallas organization. They're like, oh, he's made for this defense. Love made it. Made for this defense. And. Uh, obviously, the Matt Eberflus, you know, connection from down there, but he he's much more of a nose tackle. So I think kind of backing up Grover Stewart more than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, depth wise, what do you got? Let's say your starters are Quiddy Pay and Alkadine Muhammad. So your depth at end is Isaac Rochelle, maybe Tyquan Lewis in a pinch, Kamoko Terry, Ben Banagu, Dio when when healthy. Your depth at defensive tackle, Lewis would be your first one. And then um, Woods, Taylor Stallworth, Rob Windsor. You know, mm-hmm. I thought he had some nice moments last year in camp, a six-round pick out of Penn State. He's, he's kind of crazy. Uh, Andrew Brown is a guy they signed earlier this offseason we didn't talk a whole lot about, but he's got some run in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, I you're going to cut several guys with either NFL resumes or somewhat high draft picks. So, I do feel like, you know, I was a little worried about the D-line depth, and I, I still think it's a little bit just kind of like you really need Quiddy Pay to give you something early on. Mm-hmm. Like, that's important because basically, like, you lost Autry and you lost Houston, and again, I know Houston didn't have consistent pressure, but he still had something for you, and Autry, I think, gave you a good amount. Who have you, re- who have you replaced those with? In terms of 2021 production, if we're just looking at this season in general, that's, I think, where you're a little bit of like, all right, if you have an injury or two up front, do you just have a bunch of guys? That, I think, is where you're a little bit worried. But, mm-hmm. no, I mean, from a number standpoint, I think you do feel good. This next the question comes from Josh. Saw the attached breakdown of the Colts cap. 
Uh, bottom line is they sit somewhere around six to eight million mark after Eric Fisher and in season transaction. Does this mean we cut Chris Bauer some slack for the lack of weapons for Carson Wentz and free agency? You always say it's a two way street. Maybe this was financially viable path forward based on who was willing to come to Indy. Yeah, I think that's a very, um, very fair question, Josh. I would say one of Chris Bauer's biggest strengths is his cap flexibility. Um, it allows you to do many things. I think it allows you to kind of put different, you know, whatever in the fire. Um, but I also am a big believer, and you can really mani- manipulate the cap. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about the signing bonus, roster bonus thing. And my gripe at left tackle isn't as much as, like, Eric Fisher. Certainly, you you, you felt good about that. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's the long-term vision at that position. And I do think if the Colts didn't draft Quiddy Pay, I, I, I feel like they would have taken um, – a left tackle there, and does that put you in a better cap situation moving forward and obviously long-term? As some people say, if you sign, I think we saw the deal for Leno was $5 million, mm-hmm. so that's an extra four. Does that allow you to sign an additional wideout or additional D-end earlier in free agency to kind of help you offset things? So, um, again, I get it, Josh. I would say you've built your roster to a point now where, to me, it's more quality over quantity. I know Chris Ballard is obsessed with depth, but instead of, like, you know, Tevi, Davenport, the other Sean Davis, the other Andrew Brown, um, you know, instead of signing those four guys, do you cross off two of those names, and then you take that money, and that goes to a little bit more of a quality free agent, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that is kind of the argument of just, are, are you out of position now? besides offensive line trenches where you really needed to improve the depth, could you go a little bit more upper echelon and not as just many guys flat right. out to where that really ate up a lot of the cap this year? But, I mean, team, there are a lot of teams out there that manipulate the cap and have enough cash to spend. And probably the Saints is probably the team that does that the best, where it's like, wait, how do they keep on signing these guys? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. We answered defensive line with Rodney's question, offensive line with Josh. Cody kind of wants to merge the two together and wants to know if Ballard has learned his lesson from seasons past just because he feels like the upgrade of depth on the line is just great. Yeah, no, I know. Again, I, I think the offensive line depth focus was massive. Um, you know, D-line, he's always looking for that depth. It felt like defensive tackle was an issue you know, a couple years ago and goes out and trades for DeForest Buckner. And then I think the DNs last year, and, and something Chris has really stressed is this additional game. The additional game yep. on the schedule right. has really um, led to the need for more more depth. All right, five more. This one's from Drew. Would you agree that pass rusher is the second most important position on the roster in terms of success on the field? And if Ballard hits on one of the two pass rushers taken in this draft, it'll overshadow him. To, it'll overshadow him drafting one maybe two impactful players. I fully acknowledge that these rookies have not played a single snap and anything is possible. That being said, this draft on paper does not look promising other than the first round and maybe second round pick. Okay, I think I follow. Um, Like if you hit on one pass rusher, is that more important than hitting on Pittman Pittman and Jonathan Taylor? Impactful players, Yeah, so I would imagine so. You know, for me, edge rush, again, it's almost like QB. If you hit on quarterback, 
the rest of the draft could be, you know, Bjorn Werner, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and you'd call it a home run draft. Like that's just what that position means to me. If you if you hit on an edge rusher in a draft, really hit, <laughs> that can almost be like the quarterback scenario. I mean, it, it can really mask a lot of things. And you guys know that I've stressed this before, especially in this defense. And it goes back to the Chris Ballard question. He asked himself, how do you disrupt the line of scrimmage? Mm -hmm. That falls in line with our thinking. How do you disrupt timing? And while I think schematically you can do it a little bit in the back end, I totally get that you want to ideally do it with that front four. So, um, yeah, Drew, I, I, I hear you out. Um. And that if you can really hit on that rusher, man. In a way, it's almost like, you know, present-day NBA of guard wing over big guy, which has evolved certainly over where the league was at, you know, I would say a couple decades ago. All right, this question from Jabroni has prop swap written all over it. All right, what do we got? I'd like to take Quiddy Pay for more than seven and a half sacks this year and see those odds. Ooh. I'll tell you what. You gotta take Quiddy Pay then for Rookie of the Year, mm-hmm. Defensive Rookie of the Year. If you're um, if you're thinking that, um, yeah, I'd probably set the over under at. Whew. I'd probably go in the more of the five and a half, six and a half camp. Um, seven and a half over under. I mean, you're probably getting plus two hundred, plus two fifty there, and that's that's a big number. It's crazy thinking about of like how difficult it is for rookies to come in here. And I say come in here, I mean come into the NFL right. and have big sack seasons. And then I think back to Jonathan Newsom, homeboy, Ball State, mm-hmm. shout out, chirp, chirp, Dill Street. <laughs> Six and a half sacks as a rookie, and he had the massive sack of Peyton in the divisional round upset over the Broncos. Jonathan Newsom. Love it. Where's he now? Dill Street. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. I, I, I think he. Last I saw, CFL action. But man, talk about a guy if you could hit on that. Oh, jeez. And that was the draft after Werner. Yeah. So, yeah, Jabroni. I'd probably put it six and a half, five and a half. <laughs> definitely check out Prop Swap for that. Love t- commenting back to someone. It sounds like you're insulting them by saying their name. Back yeah. To them. Sorry. Yeah. No. That's. That's very legit. This question is from Jay. Hey, KB. Thanks for keeping the pod going during the quiet parts of the offseason for all of us crazy fans. <laughs> you bet, man. I am uh, certainly fall into the crazy category, so happy to do it. With the owners approving of the player number rule change, I was wondering if this affects how players are used. For example, say Isaiah Rogers changes his number to five or something. Could he be utilized then as a defensive back or a wide receiver in a pinch? if Frank Reich decides to get crazy creative? Huh. I think so. Um, I don't know. I, I'd probably need to look into the number situation a little bit more. So Paris Campbell is now number one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if Campbell can wear one on offense, I, I would think anybody could. Um, I know there's, like, certain ranges for positions, though. Like, not, they all can't be, like, 1 to 99. I think right. there are some locked-in ranges. But I always thought, I mean, you can always use your defensive guys on offense. I don't remember, like... Guys having to change, I don't know, maybe their uniform numbers just fit it, but, like, you know, we always see linebackers, defensive linemen line up as fullbacks or tight ends or yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. Boy, Isaiah Rogers on offense. That's really <laughs> – I hope the I hope the wide-out issues aren't, aren't that bad. <laughs> uh, did you see 
Quiddy Pay was playing Madden. He's a big gamer. And yeah. He returned the, a kick with Isaiah Rogers, and Rogers was like, dude, you got to get more yards than that. Come on. <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> Give me a better I, return. Come on. I could definitely see Isaiah Rogers chirping about that. <laughs> From Wake Spike, with Tim Tebow Hurricane in the media, it got me wondering. Tebow, the failed quarterback, theoretically, is playing a position he never played. Kyle Pitts, the supposed generational tight end, is going to a team that was in the bottom of the NFC South with an, with an aging quarterback. And the Colts have self-proclaimed renaissance man, Kylan Granson. When the 2021 regular season settles, how many touchdowns does each player have and how many yards? Oh, wow. This is... Okay. So we're going here, uh, Pitts? Pitts, Tebow, and Granson. Tebow will have as many as me. <laughs> zero, zero. Yeah. Uh, let's go with uh, Granson. Let's go... Um... Four touchdowns, 400 yards. Okay. Let's go Pitts, 805 yards, eight touchdowns. Okay. Tebow, 0-0. He's not making the team. No, no, nope. (laughs) Nope, sorry, Timothy. He's not. He's not making it. Well, there's a couple wild ones there to close him out. We got... I like it. One more, he said. Last one from Andrew. Cut. Carson Wentz, as you mentioned earlier, is 0-5 against Seattle, and I believe with six touchdowns and seven interceptions. Obviously, this is completely a completely different team. Frank Reich needs to have this team prepared better than ever to start. Should we be worried that our week one loss streak continues? Yeah. Sure. I, I, I guess. I mean, if you were going to list the 18 games, 17 games on the Colts' schedule – you know, last Tuesday and said, all right, rank these games that you'd want to see week one. I'd have Seattle in the bottom four or five. Like, it's not ideal to have that there. But um, at the same time, I can fully acknowledge that Carson Wentz's numbers are awful against the Seahawks, but he is playing with a different offense and a different offensive line and things like that. So there are reasons why not to totally freak out about that. But, yeah, I I, I get why people would be worried and – um. It's something that we do have to acknowledge. So yeah, yeah, but let's not. Man, we got we got a couple months. We're good. <laughs> we're good. Three months, right? Opener September twelfth, I think. That's right. Sound right. Awesome. Well, that that does it for Twitter questions. Like you mentioned, can't wait to see all the articles you have coming out on the website this week. Yeah, I got a lot of draft stuff, and uh, like I said, the film recap. If you missed that, Eric Fisher, some quotes from him on why joining the Colts made sense to him. I enjoyed listening to him last week as well. So. Check that out. We'll be back next week with a podcast. So everybody have a great week. For Chris Presley, I'm Kevin Bowen. We'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.